0: Welcome to the Yankster are coming soccer show. My name is Carter Christian. His name is Neil Blackman. He's just returned from the women's world cup in France, where he was able to keep an eye on the U S and France through the round of 16 uh, stage of the tournament, Neil. And let me uh, go right to you on that. You saw France, Norway, which was uh, one of the games of the tournament thus far. Uh, we have seen in the history of tournaments at the, the top tournaments in the women's game, France, have problems in critical games against critical opposition. Do you see anything different this time? Maybe because they're at home because they got through that Norway match and then they got through Brazil. And quite frankly, the Brazil match is a type of match in 2015 or 2011 or the Olympics in 12 or 16, they would have lost.
1: Yeah, I thought that, that um, well, two things. Uh, I do think they would have lost uh, to Brazil, maybe even at the Olympics um you know but uh certainly the bugaboo has been the quarterfinal match um but but those are the kinds of tough tightly contested matches that that they wouldn't find a way to win previously and it, it just historically it, it's been a problem for them um that said uh you know when you see them you you think they should be playing a little better than they are playing based on the talent they have uh, i saw them in uh, in nice against um norway and they didn't play that well that night they were really fortunate uh karen diacra was very very uh kind to the norwegian team in the post game press conference but it kind of felt like some of that was forced um but but Karte, what they reminded me of it reminded me a little of Deschamps and just kind of the way that the French grinded through the World Cup, really until you know Mbappe's star turn against Argentina and then the beautiful way that they played in the final. So there were like glimpses of that that brilliance that they had roster-wise. But right now, they're very much a team that relies on Amandine Henry, who's one of the best players in the world, yeah. to kind of grind them through the hard parts. If that makes sense, and what's really fascinating is Wendy Renard, who's probably their second best player by most objective standards, is having a, not a very good tournament.
0: And she's not even their best center back in this tournament, in, in <laughs> my opinion. So, and we, we can get more into that in a minute. Uh, here, here, here's something that I think is real interesting when you think about France. You mentioned Deschamps and the France team in the World Cup, in the Men's World Cup last year, and that's right. They they kind of limped through the group stage. Uh, did not look good uh, against Australia, did not look good against Denmark, and then woke up in that Argentina match. This France team, I would argue, through the quarterfinals, through the extra time of the quarterfinals against Germany last time in 2015, were the best team in the Women's World Cup. The U.S., we know their struggles in the group stage that's been dissected for ever and ever and ever. Uh, Germany was sleepwalking through the tournament also and got caught by the U S in the semifinals. Uh, and quite frankly, France was superior to them, uh, that throughout that match until the second extra time period. And then obviously penalties, uh, in in that match, but France, they, they, they peaked too early in that tournament. Um, like the men's world cup, they're peaking late and potentially peaking late in this tournament. The one thing I'll note, I'll say about this French team though, um, one of my favorite French players through the years was Camille and I became a fan of hers when she was in WPS, when she was playing stateside. I think that kind of real technical central midfielder, um, they're missing. I mean, they're missing her specifically. She retired, obviously, from the national team last year. But otherwise, I don't see a whole lot of weaknesses in this French side. Uh, what, what, what weaknesses have you seen that maybe the U.S.
1: can get at? So, the Norwegians spend a lot of time hammering at the right flank. Um, and when you're in France, kind of, you know, well, the media there—it's really interesting the way that they're covered there, because it's like the way they've been playing, like the essentially the way that La and some of the other core uh, that periodicals and television coverage is like. Well, the way they're playing right now, they're just not going to win anything. <laughs> so it's—it's it's very- like well,
0: you and I were saying during the World Cup in 2015 about the U.S. When, as I said, France—I thought at that point was the best team that World
1: Cup guess who ended up lifting the trophy? <laughs> Absolutely. That's oh, a great comparison, Cardick. And, and so I think they've kind of uh, – they ha- they haven't played great, but I think that the right flank is probably where I'd be the most concerned. And just, you know, what happens if if Andre is bogged down by – by the American midfield, like what combination does Gilles go go with, which we're we're gonna I'm sure talk about, but um, yes. you know what what kind of uh, what kind of what do they what do the French do in terms of the right flank? And I actually think it's kind of like a really interesting dynamic there. It's something I was talking to John Halloran about a little bit in France. Is what happens? And we were just talking via <laughs> DMs, unfortunately. But what what are the uh, what happens if with, with Crystal Ellis' side. And, like, is it weakness on weakness? Is it strength on strength? A lot of Americans are worried about Diani, and I understand that, but they have a lot of options that they can go. Like, I think Delphine Cascarino versus, versus Crystal Dunn is just, like, you know, a potential nightmare for the United States. Um, you know, but it also could open up opportunity for the United States because Cascarino is a swashbuckler technical player that also is very fast and but but what i saw against norway with that flank was that they sometimes get out too far ahead right like they sometimes don't really walk the line well between when to get forward and when to get back and so norway had a lot of space in behind that they could kind of operate and i don't know if they'll do that against the united states but i think it's worth observing
0: yeah and and in terms of uh France and pot- potential matchups, Eugénie Le who is one of my favorite players in the world. I'm going to over and over again. She <laughs> has not had a particularly good tournament either, or at least to her standards and what we've seen at Leon and what we've seen in past tournaments for France. I, I wonder about that matchup with Kelly O'Hara. because so Kelly O'Hara has been so effective getting forward for the United States. That's going to be a real chess match also on, on that flank. I mean, everybody is talking about uh, the, the the right side of um, France versus uh, the left side of the United States and, and Crystal Dunn and Megan Rapino on that left side. Um, if we get England in the semifinals, and we're recording this right before England plays Norway. For those listening, you will know the result by the time you listen. But um, if we do get England, obviously that paris lucy Bronze, uh right side for England scares the hell out of me. But uh, we'll worry about that and, and Crystal Dunn as a left back uh, potentially if we face England. So let, let's face – let's talk about France. Uh, Or we've talked about France. Let's turn the page and talk about selection issues for the United States. First off, um, group stage was very simple. The U.S. got placed in the easiest group, uh, even though we've had a rivalry with Sweden. This is not a vintage Swedish side. This is not a Swedish side um, of the caliber that we faced in 2011 or 2015 when when we struggled against them, or 2016 in the Olympics. Uh, The Spanish game was concerning because of. Two things, Neil, in my opinion. One, that Spain played a very physical match, um, sitting deep, but then attacking in midfield, right? So they sat deep, but they didn't sit eight behind the ball constantly. What they did is they sent, um, they were aggressive defenders, if you will. So they sent... Um, deployed some of those uh, players sitting in a deep block into midfield to either be very physical and commit cynical tactical fouls or to try and win the ball uh, in advantageous positions. That's one. And two is the over-the-top balls, the diagonal over-the-top balls that, uh, that Dunn in particular, uh, maybe O'Hara to a lesser extent, had some difficulty with. And then uh, uh, after we talk about that, we will talk about uh, Becky and, uh, and Alyssa there.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, what's interesting to me about this game is that it, the the Spanish kind of picking their pressure and their spots to pressure, which you mentioned, which caused the U.S. some problems. And then you have a French team that was kind of bothered by Norway's high pressure. Yeah, uh, really throughout the game. Ingrid Ingen was kind of like it was sad what happened because she the 21 year old Norwegian was so uh, was just marvelous in that game and then to to get varred, <laughs> if you will. On the the swipe of Le Somers, uh leg, and you know, I think it was probably Var probably got that right, but it was kind of a tough way to go out because using her in, in a pressure situation definitely rattled uh, uh, the French. And I think Corinne, the Acre squad at the moment, is kind of set up to to rely on Henri and rely on the, the strong spine, and maybe not necessarily be a team that applies a lot of pressure, kind of wait for their spots to get forward. So I'd say two things about it. You could try to emulate some pressure, which Spain used, or you could watch a lot of video and say, you know what, this American team has been vulnerable on the counterattack for a year and a half, and let's see what Jill Ellis's midfield looks like, because we still think we can play the way we've wanted to play all tournament where we're pretty content to stay organized defensively and then hit you on the break, sort of like the French men did in, in winning the World Cup, not to, to keep bringing up that symmetry. Yeah, but
0: there is, there is some symmetry that you need to bring up because I think Spain's game plan against the United States very much was a reflection. We talk about interaction between the men's game and the women's game. Neil. To me, it was very much a reflection of the way opposition has played against the Spanish men who dominate possession, yeah. who just grind you to, to death. And if you don't get physical with them, if you don't get disruptive with them, and it's, it's not about sitting eight behind the ball because eventually Spain – what's the famous expression about the Spanish men? Death by a thousand cuts. Eventually that happens with the U.S. women too. So I think Spain looked at the way uh, teams defend the Spanish men and said, we're going to employ that same tactic against the U.S. women or a similar tactic – And um, it worked to a large extent. I mean, let's face it. The United States were very fortunate to get out of there in 90 minutes. Now, I think if it had gone 120, the U.S. would have eventually worn Spain down. They're not a deep team. They were already showing some signs of of exhaustion, uh, uh, playing the type of uh, style they did. And typically, they're a team that possesses the ball, right? They don't normally play the way they did against the United States. So they would have, in my opinion, worn down eventually. But it it probably would have been 120 if it hadn't been – in 90, if we hadn't gotten the the fortunate call, it was a, it was a penalty. I'm not denying that, but I think it was just given the trajectory of the match at the time, it was somewhat against the, the run of what was happening in the match. Um, the question now is the U S midfield. Okay. So let's talk about the selection decision. It's been dissected in not, not, uh, having Lindsay Horan in that team on, um, on Monday. So you go with a midfield of Ertz, Horan and Lavelle. You get some more attacking prowess from Lavelle. Lavelle and Ertz in particular connect well in that midfield in terms of their ability to read one another's movements and pass well and connect well. But you're missing that creativity, that final ball uh, when you're in possession in attack without Horan and the team. Now you have an issue with, with Mewis because I think if you drop Mewis against the French midfield, uh, you're conceding a lot. You might be even conceding possession uh, to a large extent. So um, Jill Ellis is not going to go with a, a four-person midfield. We know nope. that. Nope. Um, she's going to play a four-three-three, which means someone is going to be yep. out of this team. Now, who is that someone? Because I, for the life of me, can't – and I'm not – a lot of people have used this as an occasion to, to, to trash Jill Ellis. I'm not going to do that. She has a dilemma. She's gone with a formation. She has four – high-level midfielders is the solution as simple as putting Ertz at center back, but then that disrupts that connection between her and Lavelle as well. So I'm not sure that's the solution either.
1: Uh, I mean, I think you play her and Muis in, in front of earth and you drop Lavelle and you drop Lavelle because, okay. yeah. because the type of creativity that you get from Lavelle traditionally is not necessarily something that you need Against Spain, or that's going to be as effective against two. uh, Did I say Spain? I'm in France. Um, Against two French midfielders that are as good at cutting out angles um, as Henri. And uh, I mean, I assume that as always, it'll be Elise (laughs) Busaglia. So I think, you know, I I just think that the U.S. need, first, you can't, I just can't see an area where a reason to sit somebody in the form that Sam Mewis is in I just can't she's been so spectacular um and then you know I mean Ellis basically tipped that her end would start so um to the press yesterday so i think I think that's that's kind of the way you go and you know i think I think it works because Mewis kind of handles the fact that Earth's gonna go walk about a bit uh and and that we've seen that now enough to know that that can work, but that's what I would do. I would sit Lavelle, um, and you can always use her off the bench if you get behind and France does drop into a low block, and you need somebody a little more creative. That could probably work. Yeah,
0: and I think that Bustaglia is a player that is in- incredibly experienced, as is Le Lays- Samer. She just at thirty, but you've got some very experienced French tournament players. That have also played at an elite level yep. at the club level, which I know. Uh, talking and listening to some people around the U.S. team is now becoming a, a little bit of a concern about uh, the fact that we have, you know, our entire team within NWSL, and maybe, um, maybe it's not going to show up in this World Cup, but it's going to show up soon. That that's that's an issue, um, and we're going to have to run the gauntlet of European nations to win this World Cup. I mean, there's no one left who's not from <laughs> UEFA. So we, we're playing professional teams now. We're playing, yeah. and I think the, the Spain, Spain game was a reflection of that. Okay, I agree with you. I think that's probably the best midfield. Um, and I, um, I think you cannot drop Mewis. You You can't drop Mewis, period, because from here on out, you're going to be going up against very active midfields that are dynamic or possess the ball. France possesses the ball. England is dynamic. They don't necessarily... Uh, play play with the ball in midfield. They're a much more direct team. Uh, Norway can possess the ball in midfield. They can also be very direct. And then uh, potentially the Netherlands or uh, Germany in the final. Or, or Italy. Let me not uh, um, forget about Italy. Uh, they all have the ability to um, create problems in the oh, midfield. And, and I and think U.S. is a
1: disruptor. You need her in there. And can I, Yeah, I, I agree. And can I add, and the other reason to drop Lavelle is that you have to keep Dahlkemper in because she's been so good. Well she's been... and because and because, yeah. and because you get these slicing diagonal balls that are going to be useful. Ah,
0: uh, okay, so um I didn't want to commit sacrilege, Neil, and this I guess <laughs> will be our first bit of uh controversy on the pod, maybe. Um when I suggested playing Ertz at center back, I was not suggesting dropping doll camper.
1: No, and I understand there's a lot of people that say, well, yeah, you could drop Becky, but I thought I, I thought some of the early criticism of a for my seat um, the the criticism of Becky's play against Spain was was kind of off off base. I mean, I didn't think that the uh, the the listen air was all listen I didn't think yeah, Becky yeah. really did anything wrong there. There's there are not defenders in the world who can recover from that. I mean, maybe they can, and that's the thing. I mean, Becky might recover from that. What one out of three times, but that's still one out of. But oh, so. would
0: Becky have recovered from it
1: two or three years ago though? That's the question. She pro- she might have. She might uh, have, but but even if even if even even then she might not have recovered from it every time, right, Cardick? So like we're talking yeah. about that the thing about when you say, well, two out of three times, is that it's still two out of three times. Now I don't want to belabor the point too so, much, but I, <laughs> it so was. Well, let's talk crazy. about that because it
0: was it was a stunning error from there,
1: and it's one of those things where um,
0: she makes the mistake. Okay, she should have gone left to to, to Don or right to O'Hara. I got I I should watch where. Don and O'Hara were positioned, or even uh, to Doll Camper, uh, since you're building on the back. But she 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 plays it to the defender w- who is in the most trouble already, because you see Spanish uh, Spanish uh, attackers pressing uh, converging right. on her. Now the second mistake was Nair didn't call for the ball back. To, to, right. To- from what I can tell. So Correct. I think typically Becky turns on that ball. She knows she's in trouble the second she receives the pass. She goes back to the keeper. But the keeper is not calling for the ball and isn't really active, um, which is also why, I mean, it was a brilliant finish from the Spanish uh, uh, attacker. But still, you know, it's out of position, <laughs> the entire play. So I, I, um, I want to say that I don't think Sarveron is is responsible for that at all. Now, what I will say is I think she has and maybe it's also because um you know there's a lot of covering going on because Crystal Dunn's not a natural defender. Well that's
1: that's the other point because I look yeah. I actually I actually agree with you is that Dahl Kipper like if I had to sit one of them, I would actually sit Becky because I just don't think she, she's not she just she never was fast to begin with, and now you know, like do we say she's gotten old? Like we say, you know, she's even she's just slower now. I mean, I don't want to call her slow, but there's an element of that. There's also an element of Becky Sauerberg is covering for Crystal Dunn, who's not a left back. And because Jill Ellis wants Crystal Dunn on the field, that's what Becky's being asked to do. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a demanding, demanding thing. And if any lesser defender probably can't handle it. And even Becky now we're seeing is being stretched.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm not sure positionally as good as Earth's is that you want to throw her into that, uh, end of the, uh, of the pool, the deep end of the pool, so to speak against France of all right. teams. All right. right? And, and um, the friendly against France in January is fresh in our minds, just like the friendly against Spain was fresh in our minds. It's, it's ironic that the U S somehow is the same two um, teams we played in friendlies that, that raised so many concerns for us in January. And then we seem to have recovered from those, those uh, poor performances are the two teams we're facing here in the knockout stage of the world cup. Um, which is why you play those friendlies, right, to prepare. Um, yeah, so I agree with you on that. Now let's talk about up front. Um, obviously, Rapino Heath, we know that. Um, your assessment of Alex Morgan's performances in this World Cup since the Thailand game, Neil, has it been uh, affected by injuries by Knox? Is it a, a, a situation where uh, maybe it's the opposition really trying to mark her out of matches like we saw with Spain. Is there a better option in Carly Lloyd or Christian Press, or do you just ride it with Alex Morgan now?
1: Uh, I think, yeah. Well, look, I think they should play Christian Press, but not because of anything opponents are doing. I just don't think Alex is healthy.
0: Okay. So so it is it is a fitness issue, because that's what I was getting at. Is it a fitness issue, or is she just not playing well? Yeah, it, no, I mean, I, I
1: just think I don't, you know, because there's been some service issues, for sure, which always affect Alex, but Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know how healthy she is. And certainly, you know, I guess if you were going to argue the counterpoint to that, you'd say she got hacked all over the field by Spain. Uh, they were very physical. Um, I guess that's putting it gently. (laughs) Like I thought they were very fortunate to finish with 11. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, she made it through that match, you know, no worse for wear, uh, at least in theory, but, um, yeah. I mean, she doesn't totally look herself, does she?
0: No, there, feel, there are people circulating thoughts out there on, on social media, which, you know, are valid uh, discussions because this is not a, a typical national team. Uh, it, it, Alex, no, no player is untouchable because you have so, so much quality on the bench. And Christian Press has a different – we've talked about this on podcasts since you and I have been podcasting together for three years um, – that Christian Press has a different skill set than Alex Morgan. They're very different types of players. Right. Um. So you're not. You're, you might be giving up uh, Alex Morgan's explosiveness and ability to play. Um. Uh. Play onto the ball and 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 and. Uh, th- those sorts of things. But then with Christian Press, you get a a player that might be able to to hold up, play a little better, uh, do some different things. That's an option. What about Carly Lloyd if Alex Morgan isn't fit? <sighs> I mean... Now, first off, can she go 90? No. Okay, so she that might be your an, answer right there. She can go an hour. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: she, and you have to plan for 120, and, and Jill Ellis, I think, a lot of... Uh, the There have been critiques of her not making changes against Spain earlier, and I wanna, think it's because yeah. she's thinking about 120 minutes, not 90, and I defend yeah. her for that. So I think this yeah. will be the same sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought they needed... I, you know, here's the thing, and it's so complicated because, of course, Pino hits the penalties with such good composure, and, and that's why they go through. I thought they needed to take Rapino out because um, she hasn't had a very good tournament, if I'm being blunt. Um, she she looks like a player who has aged and might be better suited for a role off the bench. That's never going to happen. So it's really not.
0: You know. and eventually, The discussion's academic. Well, well, right. It's an academic in this tournament. Eventually, Crystal Dunn will be playing there, and the U.S. will be playing with a different lead back. Maybe it's Casey Short. Uh, People say that I say Casey Short because she went to Florida State. Yeah, I've seen her more than I've seen a lot of the other
1: women, but that's
0: not the reason. I think she's really
1: good. Yeah, Um, maybe it's Sofia Huerta. Who knows? Yeah, maybe it's Sofia
0: Huerta. Um, But I think that that's what happens eventually. But in this tournament and then next year in the the Olympics, I think you're still looking at Pino also because of her leadership. And – um, the respect she has from the rest of the team. And, and you even saw that on social media, uh, this week when the president decided to pick on her.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, it's an academic discussion. She's going to play, I but, but that doesn't mean she should be, um, untouchable from a change standpoint. And, you know, it was surprising that she wasn't taken out of the game after an hour. Um, so, you know, I can see it both ways on the Ellis substitution debate, but what I think with, with Carly is that you'd get an hour out of her. Um, But, but they're going to go with Alex and, you know, Alex is produced in these moments time and time again. And if she's, if she's fit and, you know, able to rest, you know, I don't see any reason that, that she can't go. What I'll say about it is that, you know, they really need her. I mean, I was around the France camp uh, for a day uh, before the Norway match and, and none of them, um, except Amadeen, would, would give me anything on the U.S. quarterfinal. You know, everything was Norway and the things that teams do or they don't talk about what potentially could happen and they kind of act like it's not a big deal. But when you ask Amadeen Henry about who they're playing in the quarterfinals, I mean, she smiled. She smiled. And she said, oh, well, we know what's down the road. Yeah, so so there's a history, and, obviously. And in... They know. They know. Yeah. They know. I. I just... My sense is that France will be ready for the moment. And so the U.S. obviously will have to to be at their best.
0: Now, in 2011, in the semifinal, coming off of Abby's dramatic, um, was it a winner or it was an equalizer against Brazil? Then we go to penalties, right? Yeah. Um, coming off of that, I thought we were emotionally drained and France was going to take us apart. In fact, the opposite happened. Um, yeah. France comes through... Um, the 2015 group stage, the best team in the tournament, as far as I'm concerned, they win in the quarter in the round of 16, they meet a Germany team that didn't look right the whole tournament. They dominate that match. They end up losing in penalties again. Um, So is there a psychological hurdle with France? Have they gotten over that hurdle the way they beat Brazil? Uh, Is it different because you're at home? Uh, I guess this is the, the final takeaway from this show. Do you think that this France team mentally can compete with the United States because mentally they have been very fragile in critical matches for the last decade.
1: Well, their fans and their players talked about how, you know, cause I talked about for a piece I wrote on, um, on Amadine Henry and, and France at Yanks are coming in. They both talked about lacking experience in, in, in big, in big moments that in 2011 in the semis, uh, they felt like they were better than the U S in, in stretches. Right. Yeah, okay. oh they were for 20, large parts 20, of the game they were 20 30 minutes of the game they thought they played better football they they strung passes together better but that they're prone to these just immense crushing mistakes like the reynard own goal against Norway. Right. And yeah. and De'Akra talked about like that being kind of a teachable moment in the group stage she didn't want to say she was glad to have happen, but she was talking about how like those are the types of mistakes that you know, those unforced errors are the difference when talent, the, the quote you gave me was that those errors that are unforced are the difference when talent levels are nearly equal. Yeah. And it's, like, a really interesting concept to think about when you think about the way that that France matches up with the United States, because this is one of the only teams in the field that has the masters of the game that, that, <laughs> that the U.S. had right? Like, almost player for player. Like, you could talk about so, and we've talked about some of them like so many players that that they have from 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 you know uh Gavin Thini, Gaetan Thini to to Busse, to to henri to you know we we've, we've talked about the young players cascarino Diani. I mean they have so many players that that are are wonderful um so it's just can you can you avoid that are you are you ready for that moment? and I think that they probably are. Uh, and then the other thing we have to talk about is maybe they're better in goal. Like maybe having cerebral is, is the difference um, tomorrow.
0: Also having players like Cascarino that you can bring off the bench. is not something out of yeah. these prior world cups because that right U S game, they were the better team in 2011 in the first half. I, I completely agree with that second half. We, we put them to the sword Germany game in 2015. I mentioned they were the better team, I think through 105 minutes, but they were out of gas. Whereas Germany right, had...
1: losing penalties in Montreal. That's a great yeah. point. And, and yeah. that was, that was as good a crowd for them, by the way, as yeah. they're going to have tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it, it may have been a better maybe crowd because, maybe better. Yes.
0: Because one thing that has been noticeable and um, you can comment on this and then we're going to we're going um, uh, to but... wrap up. But um, I, I've been told by people watching the tournament that are non-Americans that the number of neutrals supporting the United States in that tournament is pretty remarkable in France.
1: It's remarkable, and also the south of the country cares more about football than the north.
0: Right. That's the case with the men's game, too.
1: Yeah. And so uh, what's happening is, like in Nice, you know, it, it's just they roared for, for 90 minutes, like Guavine scores, and then it gets equalized, and the volume level pretty much stays the same the whole game, Garnick. Mm-hmm. Um, you you wonder about that in Paris. Uh I think a little bit, but, but I think, you know, you've kind of, you've alluded to it. I mean, they had, whether, whether it's the quarterfinal at the European championship to lose in heartbreaking fashion, the way they did, or, or Montreal in the 2015 world cup, they've had these moments, they've missed them. And so this is this kind of golden generation. They won't get another world cup in their primes together.
0: Yeah, and then I think when you talk about Cascarano and Galvin in particular being young players, adding them to that golden generation, who I would yes. also have included Camille Abelay, who I mentioned earlier in the show in that golden generation. Yes. She's retired, um, but uh, you won't have this, this mixture of players again in a major tournament, and they're at home, so uh, the moment is theirs potentially. We will be back, Neil, win or lose for the United States this weekend with a wrap-up show and hopefully a preview of England or Norway. Yeah. Uh, and I think if it's England, it's going to be really interesting because there's some fascinating tactical matchups. And I'll just say, in fairness, I follow the WSL closely. I know that England team better than I know the other teams other than the U.S. in this tournament. of it. Uh, But if it's Norway, there's a lot to talk about as well. So thank you once again for listening. Check us out at YanksterComing.com. You've got to check out Neil's story on Tobin Heath. It's one of uh, – uh, you know, humbly, Neil, it's one of the best things you've ever written about this Thank sport. Thank
1: you. Thank so, you, my uh, friend.
0: So plug, plug for that. And uh, we will be back with you after, uh, after the match, win or lose, on uh, the weekend.